All right. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we will pick up again with chapter 4 of the book of Exodus. Father, we praise you tonight because in your grace and mercy you spared our lives, brought us back into your house where we can close out another Lord's Day. A time, Father, when you set aside, you set aside the Sabbath in the Old Testament as a day of rest and a day to focus on you. And then on the new, in the New Testament, Father, we worship on the first day of the week because of the grand and glorious resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, today, as we have worshiped this morning and tonight, we are uh, a witness to the world that the resurrection is true, that it happened in real time, and that those that would repent, confess of their sins, and in faith call out to Jesus, not only are delivered from the wrath that is to come, but also are blessed with the privileges and promises contained in the Bible. And we look forward to the day when we can say as John, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, as I pray. We ask that you'd guide us as we look at the word this, this evening. Make us receptive to it. May we, we respond to it. Bless our prayer, children, as they are <clears throat> preparing for uh, Christmas play. These that we have mentioned tonight, we lift them up to you again. Obviously, you don't need any reminder. So we pray, Father, that uh, your will be done on each of their behalf. We thank you for answered prayer. Uh, because of so many. And so teach us, Lord, to pray for them, not only physically, but spiritually as well. In Jesus' name we make this prayer. Amen. So last Sunday evening, we moved out of chapter 3 of the book of Exodus into chapter 4. We read it in its entirety. Uh, what I want to do tonight is read down uh, the first nine verses, and we'll complete what we started last Sunday evening. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And so he did. Cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. And the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again, and he drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it out on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. So... Three elements here are three basically signs that the Lord uh, uh, presents to uh, Moses. Uh, if you remember, when you, as you arrive in the New Testament, we are told that, in fact, Jesus himself 
said on several occasions that the Jews seek a sign. And here's one of the reasons that they do seek a sign is because God did provide to Moses three different types of signs to be used <clears throat> primarily with the Hebrew people. The question that Moses had asked was, what happens if my people don't believe me? He obviously was concerned with Pharaoh, but he had to first prove himself before the Hebrew people. And so that's why the Lord starts down this litany of um, signs that you have here in these first nine or ten verses in Exodus chapter 4. So we closed out last Sunday evening looking at uh, and reminding you that God uses Moses' rod and that Moses' rod, we'll see here in just a minute, we'll look at a couple of places, traveled with him uh, for the remainder of his life and was uh, eventually placed into the Ark of, Co of the Covenant as a reminder to the people of what had taken place. Uh, we looked at uh, God used what was in Shamgar's hand in the book of Judges and in Samson's hand both. Uh, God used what was in David's hand <clears throat> when he stood before Goliath. And then we went to the New Testament and saw that uh, the Lord used the, uh, the five loaves and two fish in the hands of a little boy. So God uses what we have available. And he doesn't create anything special. He doesn't do something miraculous other than take common things that we have here, common things that Moses had, and use them to display to the uh, Hebrew people when he arrived back in Egypt. Next slide, if you would. <clears throat> so Moses said, obviously, that, it was, uh, that he had a rod in his hand. And eventually this rod would be used to part the Red Sea. It would be used to strike not only a rock, but several rocks, and the water would come forth as they... Uh, transversed from uh, Egypt to the promised land. Uh, it would be used in Moses' hand as the rod that was raised when Israel went into battle and uh, they, were, uh, they were successful because of the Lord Jesus. And it's called, it had a special notation, if you would. <clears throat> Look at verse 19 and 20 of chapter 4. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. So the status changed quite a bit. The Lord had used the rod, and now it's God's rod, not Moses' rod. Now it's at Moses' disposal, and it's Moses' responsibility to care for it, and he does throughout uh, his life. Turn to chapter 17. <clears throat> the, uh, we could read the entire chapter, but I'm not going to do that tonight. Um, <clears throat> look at verse 5. The Hebrew people had left Egypt, and they were thirsty. All the land that they traveled, that they traversed from Egypt to uh, the Promised Land was basically desert. And so water was the most important commodity. We'll see this next Sunday morning in the book of Leviticus as well. So they're thirsty, and they're 
estimates, one to two million people. Not only the people, but they took with them livestock. And we know that because they, there were lambs, there were rams, there were bullocks, and all of these were offered. So they didn't capture them in the desert, they took them from Egypt with them. So they had to be watered as well. They're thirsty. Um, verse 2 says, Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Uh, and obviously the, the story goes, and we'll go into more detail when we arrive here, but if you would, uh, look at uh, the Lord said to Moses, verse 5, Go before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river. We'll see that as we get into um, chapters 5 and 6 of the book of Exodus. And he says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people may drink. So the rod of God used to produce the water of life. Jesus is the living water. So what Moses used to, to um, uh, water to to uh, <coughs> take care of the thirst of the people. Also, it was an element of a reminder that God himself was their sole source of life. He did this, the Bible says, and look at verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. These are the Amalekites, and the Amalekites were a thorn in the side of the Hebrew people for many, many years. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose up some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him. He fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. They took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady to the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So two instances very soon after they left Egypt, where the rod of God is used, and uh, again, we are reminded of this. Now, the second occurrence, or, or the, the first sign here is he takes the rod, he casts it on the ground. It becomes a serpent. The Lord then tells him to grab the serpent by the tail. And <clears throat> these, uh, this was probably, we don't know, but it was probably an Egyptian asp. And if it were, if it was, it uh, is extremely poisonous. And this is not something that you normally would want to do. Most people have a dreaded fear of snakes. And Moses may have as well. We don't know. But in any event, he does what he's told. The Lord said, reach out, grab it by its tail. And Moses does. And when he lifts or begins to lift the, the serpent, it turns back into the rock. So these signs are teaching Moses. One of the, one of the things that the Lord does when he calls us, whatever he may gift us to do or whatever he may charge us to do, he is teaching us before he teaches anyone else. Uh, I have to remind myself of that when, when I'm preparing uh, sermons or preparing notes or prepare, to, preparing to teach. The Lord is teaching me 
Uh, in fact, he's teaching me even more so than teaching you. If I don't learn, I can't convey what I learn. So there has to be a passion for what the Lord ha is doing through us as the Lord does for his people. So the sign taught Moses to do what God told him to do even if it was uncomfortable. And we mentioned this morning, we live in a day and age when comfort is supreme. And we certainly don't want to interrupt our, uh, our comfort. Uh, we want to be in safe places all the time. We want our children, grandchildren to be in safe places. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But sometimes the Lord does call us, call us to do things that are uncomfortable. And because of our mindset, we resist. Now, Moses had, had uh, answered the Lord. He, had, he basically said, I'm not sure I can believe you. Even though the Lord had revealed himself as the great I am, Moses is pushing back. So he is very much human. We are very much like Moses. So he's teaching Moses as much about doing what he has called him to do that is uncomfortable. So remember that. God sometimes will ask us and move us to do things that are uncomfortable. Remember, our Lord went to the cross and that was very uncomfortable. But he was obedient all the way. And then the Bible reminds us, as Moses is recording this, he says that they may believe the Lord God of their fathers has appeared to you. He lists the name. Of course, he reiterates again the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so this first sign here would make the children of Israel realize that the God of, covenant, the God of the covenant had not forsaken them, that he was with them because he had... Uh, commissioned Moses to take them to the promised land. Next slide. <clears throat> so, verses 6 through 9, you have two more signs. Now, the second sign is somewhat related to the first sign. The third one is not. The third one is one that, for the lack of a better term, came out of left field. And so the second one has to do with uh, a physical ailment. So Moses had done what was uncomfortable in <clears throat> picking up the viper. Now God asked him, and, and Moses doesn't know what's coming. <clears throat> if you knew what was coming, and the Lord said, stick your hand in your bosom and draw it out and it's leprous, would you do that? Again, <clears throat> The level of comfort now is being challenged because Moses uh, obviously had, uh, uh, had believed the Lord, was obedient to the Lord and picking up the viper. But now his test is coming home. It is a physical test. So he does. Sticks his hand in his bosom and he draws it out. <clears throat> and his hand is leprous. In the Old Testament, there are a number of different types of leprosy or skin diseases. And in the New Testament as well, the most severe is 
what we refer to as, uh, uh, there's a name for it. It's, it's not Hodgkin's disease, but there's another name for it that has a person's <coughs> name assigned to it. That type of leprosy is the one that basically destroys any of the nerve endings in your extremities, <clears throat> in your fingers, in your toes, in your ears, your nose, anything that is, uh, <clears throat> that is somewhat removed from the core element of your body. So he does, he pulls his hand out. The Bible says it's leprous like snow, and so the indication here is this is that type of disease. Maybe it's Griffin's disease, but in any event, it's that type of disease. <clears throat> now we're not told. Obviously, he didn't lose any of his fingers uh, or his hands or that extremity at all. But if you think about it, this was, this was, was a remarkable sign to teach Moses that I'm going to be with you when there are, the first sign with the viper, I'm going to be with you when there are things on the outside that come at you. Now he's saying, I'm going to be with you when there are things on the inside that come out of you. So all of these things take place. He puts it back in. He draws it out. It was restored. Uh, and he says, verse 8, uh, if they do not, do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign, then they may believe the, the message of the latter sign. And you can imagine if he, had, uh, if he did this before a, a group of individuals of the elders of uh, uh, Israel and they saw what was taking place, you know they're going to stand back because leprosy is extremely, extremely infectious. So... <clears throat> Two messages in the sign, in the, these two signs. Moses, if you obey me, your enemies will be powerless. They will be like the viper, has no control, and if you obey me, your pollution can be made pure. Your sin, your doubt. Now, Moses had questioned the Lord, we find this the third time in uh, <clears throat> verse uh, 13. Three times he questions the Lord as to his, uh, as to Moses' capability, as to his own capability. So these two signs speak to, I'm going to take care of your enemies, and then I'm going to take care of your sin. I'm going to calm your anxiety about leading these people. So in these two areas, he removes any doubt that stemmed from the question that Moses asked in verse 1. And he said, before these signs spoke to anyone else, they spoke to Moses. So Moses understood them. Now there's a third sign, and this one is unique. And now we begin to see the unfolding <coughs> of God's actions uh, toward Pharaoh. Now remember, Moses is still in uh, Midian. He's not in Egypt. He's in Midian. He is several hundred miles from Egypt. And he's with his family. He's with his father-in-law, Jethro. We learn this later on in the chapter. And he says, okay, if they don't believe these two, there's one more. And he says, if they don't believe these two, or listen to your voice in verse 9, then take the water from the river 
from the Nile, pour it out on the dry land. <clears throat> Do you remember what Moses' name means? Go back to chapter 2. We are told in chapter 2, if you would, verse 8, And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child, nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. So, what does the Lord say here? Take the water from the river. Now Moses <clears throat> probably knew that his life had been spared as a child. No doubt his mother had told him, certainly his sister had told him. So the Lord says, I'm sending you back to Egypt to the river that I protected you in when you were a child. What a God we serve. So here's a man now that is 80 years of age. And God is telling him, you are going back to see a land that you've not seen for 40 years, and it is a land that I have brought you out of. I saved you from the water I want you to use the water that I saved you from. What a God we serve. So he says, <clears throat> now notice this. This is a sign, but Moses is not at the river. He's not at the Nile. So this is something that the Lord tells him is going to take place, and it does. It does take place. So he said, the water that you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. This is the third sign. It's simply a sign of judgment. If they don't believe the first two, and we'll find that Pharaoh's uh, uh, soothsayers, Pharaoh's psychics, if you please. Have you seen any of the uh, California psychics uh, advertisements on TV? Have you seen any of those? If you're worried and you're anxious, call this phone number or go online and contact the California psychics. God only knows why he would put psychics in California. Maybe there's a reason to rhyme for that. But go on and call them and contact them and so forth, and they will give you sympathy. Well, this is what we see here. And Moses is going to encounter these in Egypt. And he probably had encountered them before when he was in Egypt. Next slide. <clears throat> the third sign is a sign of judgment. And so the waters of the Nile, which, by the way, the Egyptian people worshipped, <clears throat> basically their entire livelihood extended from the waters of the Nile. Moses would have known this. Remember, Moses and the Hebrew children 
for a while dwelt in the land of Goshen, which was the richest land in Egypt. So he had seen this in action. And so the good, pure waters, the waters that were beneficial to the people, would be made foul, and they would become bloody by the work of God. And what we learn is they didn't turn back to pure water again. God's judgment, when, when God's judgment falls, it falls completely. Now, we're not teaching about judgment this evening, but one of the things that we can take away from this is that the, the, we talked a great deal in the name of, uh, of the great revelation of Yahweh, I am that I am, and the fact that he doesn't change, and so when God uh, stipulates what's going to take place in judgment, that doesn't change. So, the Lord is tell <clears throat> telling Moses, if the miracles of transformation, the rod becoming a viper, the hand in your bosom, so forth, if they don't turn the hearts of the people, and they do, okay, the hearts of the Hebrew people anyway, then perhaps the sign of judgment would. And so he promises uh, Moses <clears throat> that, <clears throat> look at verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh which I put in your hand, but I will harden his heart. Now, basically what the Lord does, and we'll talk about this at length when we get to this, but he removes any work of the Spirit in the life of a sinful individual. And so he gives him over to, Old English calls this reprobate, but basically it's give him over to his own sin. So the Lord doesn't have to do anything to change our sin nature. What he does in our salvation is through Jesus Christ, and when we appropriate the work of Jesus as we are born again, our sin nature is not eradicated in this life, but it is justified. We become justified before the Lord. Sinners don't have that. And so Pharaoh, he removes the hand, and he says, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. What we'll find out is that God hardens Pharaoh's heart five times, and Pharaoh hardens his heart five times. So we'll discuss that when we come to it. <clears throat> if they do not believe these two signs, or listen to your voice, you are my emissary, you are my ambassador, you are my spokesman, you are my prophet. And if they don't believe you, Moses, then the sign of judgment will be given when unbelief persists in the face of the miracles of transformation. And that's why the plagues take place. There are ten plagues. There are ten commandments. So this, there are no coincidences in the Bible. The Lord is using these, again, to teach Moses make his name known to the Hebrew people, and to challenge Pharaoh. So we'll stop there this evening. This evening. Any comments or questions? <clears throat> Let's pray. 
Father, bless, I pray, the word as we leave here this evening. Fill us with your spirit. Open doors that we may witness for you, share your faith, share our faith with others um, over these workaday days that you've provided for us. Give us strength and courage. Provide for our families, Lord Jesus. Keep us safe. Bring us back when we can study your word again. In Jesus' name we make this prayer. Amen. God bless you. <coughs>